Good morning, church. My name is Brett. I am pastor of this people. It's good to see all of you, but especially those who are with us for the first time. Thank you for making us your church home for an hour today. We appreciate it. Turn with me over to the book of, of Hebrews, chapter 11. We're going to continue our series on men and women of the Bible. We have spoken about Adam, Eve, Noah, and today we're going to talk about Sarah. Sarah. Sarah, the wife of Abraham. The title of the message is Sarah, woman of faith, woman of faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11. It says, by faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him who had promised. Lord, thank you very much for your word. Help us as we study today. We're going to add a couple of passages to this passage, Genesis chapter 12, verses 10 through 20, and then Genesis chapter 20. The three points upon which I'm going to concentrate are Sarah had the ability, the willingness of soul to entrust herself to God when people had the decisions regarding her personal life. She was under some other people who were deciding what ought to be done with her. Secondly, she believed God for a miracle. And thirdly, she believed in him who was faithful. Now, even though Sarah's a woman, I want this to translate to everybody. Because this, this is indiscriminate of gender. This is about a person who had to believe God in ways that are unusual. And it should inspire all of us because we live in the same kind of circumstances. There's nothing new under the sun that happens to people. If it's happened to you, it happened to somebody in the Bible. So you can find yourself in how to best respond to whatever's happened to you through something that happened in the Bible and how that person went through it. Whether it's they messed up, don't do that. Or they did well, do that. Nothing new. And here we have a woman that responded extraordinarily to very adverse circumstances. We have two scenarios, eh, maybe three, that really, really turn us the wrong way when we think about why would anybody do that that Sarah went through? One, in Genesis chapter 12, where Abraham was coming into the promised land. At that time, his name was Abram. Her name was Sarai. Both of their names got changed later. But he was coming into the promised land. He had been told by God, go to the place where I will show you. And there was no destination when he told him that, when God told him. It was just leave your family, your household, your relatives, and come to the place that I will show you. He went south from where he was, and sure enough, God blessed him and said, you're here. It happened to be the nation we now know as Israel, that little piece of property at the end of the Mediterranean Sea. And his wife had to follow with him. Now, they had been married for some time. And in Genesis chapter 11, it says that Sarah had no children. She was barren. Having been married for some time and having no children, the possibility of having children, and now the Bible describes her as being barren, kind of wanes. I mean, if you've been married 20 years and you haven't been able to bear children, your hope each day kind of gets dimmer and dimmer. 
she follows her husband into the promised land, believing that there's going to be something that happens because God told Abraham, I'm going to give this land to you and your descendants. Okay. Maybe there might be some hope for me, says Sarah. I know I haven't proved I can have children, but God told my husband that he's going to give this land to his descendants, and I'm his wife. Lord, you're talking to me too? So she follows her husband, not just because there might be something in it for her, but because she is faithful to her husband and to her God. She has to listen to what her husband says because that's the way life kind of is. We're not talking about domineering. We're not talking about subjugation. We're talking about a man hearing from God in a way that is undeniable. We're not talking about just impressions that somebody might have that seem to be a little different, and, and then they're justifying it by saying, God said. We're talking about someone who has an undeniable word that has clearly been delivered from heaven to him that would change all of humanity. And it was confirmed over and over again through signs and circumstances and different things. So she follows her husband, believing that he has heard. And, and, and as they're coming through the promised land in Genesis 12, they realize, okay, this is the place God spoke to them and said, you're home. But it's occupied by a lot of different people who believe it's their home. They've, in fact, they've got the title deed to it. And so they are nomadic people trying to figure out where in the world are we going to find a spot to live. Because every place they went, somebody was. And it wasn't just Abraham and Sarah. So it says there were 318 men trained in his house. Bakers, tailors, shepherds, cowboys, herdsmen, folks who cared for donkeys, cooks. A lot of people, because Abram Abram was was fairly fairly well-to-do. And so you've got 318 men, it says in Genesis chapter 14, when he went to war to try to rescue his nephew Lot. 318 men trained in your house. Most of those 318 are probably married and have children. So it's entirely possible that this Abraham and Sarah thing may have multiplied into about three to 4,000 people. And so when they were moving, it was, a, it was like a nation moving. It wasn't just two people, a group, a company of people with, with thousands of sheep and thousands of cattle and thousands of donkeys and thousands of, of, of goats and, and all the things needed to provide for all those people. It was huge. And so you couldn't just hide three, three 4,000 people. When you showed up, everybody in the neighborhood knew you came. Now, there was a problem with that. When people believe they have the title deed to the property, but God's going to give it to you, they may not be near as receptive to your, to your, to your coming. No welcome mat necessarily laid out. So Abraham has to figure out how in the world do I keep all of us from being killed? Wiped out because somebody considers us a threat or an enemy. Now the general rule was back then, and, and this is why we have, to, we have to look at the Bible in its context. We cannot judge people on the basis of our own experience in this 21st century. Abraham says to Sarah, before they leave, wherever they were, 
Haran or in Ur of the Chaldees, when we go to this new spot, you must say that you are my sister. Now, he wasn't lying. She was his sister. The daughter of his father, but not of his mother. So half-sister. Back then, the gene pool was so diverse that you could do that. <laughs> not now. <laughs> not now. It was fine then. So he wasn't lying, but he wasn't telling her all the truth. But we, we immediately say, boy, what? why in the world would a man do that to his wife? They definitely needed some counseling after that moment. What in the world was Abraham thinking? Judging it through our own context. But back then, if you were seen to be a nation, a company of people that had a ruler, even if it was just a large family, Abraham was looked at as more of a king than he was a, a leader. He had no children, but he did have a company of folks that would follow him and all the things around. And so he was intimidating to a lot of the people of the land. He had to set a strategy. And the normal strategy for nations to make sure that they would not fight one another was that one king who had a daughter would give his daughter to another king who had a prince. They get married. They would form an alliance because that was the deepest bond the two nations could form because nobody would ever want to fight against their grandchildren. Are you listening to me? When you had people groups that actually had boundaries, okay, that's their boundary. Unless we want to establish some kind of treaty, we're good. They don't cross our land, we don't cross their land, we're good. But if we want to establish a treaty, then that kind of makes both of our, our, our properties accessible to each other. And now we get more resources from them, they get more resources from us. This is a good deal. But now you have somebody who has no boundaries coming into the promised land. The person that does have, the kingdom that does have boundaries isn't a threat unless they cross them. Everybody's fine. But Abram is crossing everybody's boundaries. He's looking for water from people all the time. He's looking for places to, 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 for his, his cattle and sheep to graze. He has no title deed to anything. And he has no children to give to form treaties. None. He's thinking, they're going to think I'm a threat. They're going to kill me and everybody in my troop. And then they're going to take you anyway because you're so pretty. That's what he's thinking. And she was. Now, it says there were 65. She was 65. He was 75 when he entered into the promised land. At 65, she was so desirable. That all the kings with whom they came in contact said, I want her. <laughs> she was stunning. She, whatever, whatever it, I don't know, but stunning. He said, listen, because I don't have any children, you're going to have to be the sacrificial lamb because you're the closest relative I got. And she realizes this. I'll do it, but it's not just a sacrifice for you. She understands that if people consider Abram and all of his people an intimidating force to, to their land and their property, they're going to go to war with them anyway. Kill all of them, her husband included, and take me as the spoil. 
she realizes, when I go on this journey, I'm going to have to have faith in God. Because if you give me away as your, your sister, it's going to be rough. It means that when you give me away as your sister to whatever king, they're going to look at me as their wife and want to do all the things customary to marriage. And I ain't into that. Have you ever had somebody who had a little bit more control over your life than you wanted? The circumstances just didn't work out as favorable as you'd like. Maybe a supervisor who didn't really value your contribution to the organization as much as he should and overlooked you in a promotion and gave it to somebody you know wasn't as good as you, didn't have the experience you had, and didn't deserve the spot, but they did something to get it. You don't know what, but that's the way your mind's thinking. They did something to get it. I'm not like that. And you begin to make up all these scenarios in your brain. You don't know what's happened, but you're blaming everybody. You're looking at that person as being wrong. That person is being short-sighted. That person is being power-hungry. Rarely do you look to God for help. You're blaming everybody. Somebody's got control over your occupational destiny. And you're doing everything you possibly can to try to figure out how in the world you can take it back. Now, I'm not mad at you because this is America. You can go find a new job. You can get on LinkedIn, monster, do whatever you need to do. Put out your resume. You can find a new position. But before you do that, just maybe you ought to look in the mirror. You say, God, what are you doing? What are you doing, Lord? This is a situation out of which the only way I could get is if I moved. And got a new position. But is there something that you're trying to bring up on the inside of me that needs to get out? And if I went to another place and took it with me, I'd still need to get it out there. I'd like to make sure that if I have to go to another place, that I'm better when I go. So if you're dealing with me about something, I pray you would let me know. Because this here is hard. Abram, why are you doing this? Oh, she understood she was able to get enough perspective and say to her husband, yes, I will do this, even though it puts me in a vulnerable spot. She had faith to trust God when somebody else was making decisions with her life. And listen to me, anybody who did something great had to live there. Anybody who did something great in the Bible had to live there. Next week we'll talk about Joseph. Wow. People messed up his life regularly. And he didn't become bitter. He didn't blame anybody. His, his overarching comment at the end of his life was, what you meant for evil, God meant for good and the saving of a lot of people. What perspective from somebody who had never been through anything through which he'd been. He didn't have a Genesis to read. He had to just figure it out every day. What am I going to do now? I'm a slave. I'll be the best slave I can be. Okay, I was the best slave I could be, and now I'm in prison. I'll be the best prisoner I can be. And not just for a day or two, for 13 years. He was going in the opposite direction of his dreams. David, what am I going to do with this man Saul? Yeah, I serve him. I've done everything I know to help. He asked me to come in and play top 40 hits for him. I do it. 
He likes the way I sing and play. I, I, I'm, I'm his personal minstrel. I'm on it. But while I'm doing it, he's throwing spears at me. He's trying to kill. Lord, my supervisor doesn't appreciate my contributions. I killed Goliath for him. I saved the nation. And this is the way he treats me. Everybody who did something great in the Bible went through something where somebody else had control of their life. How about Jesus? Peter talks about this. He said, blessed are you who suffer and have to go through all kinds of stuff. 1 Peter 14, 19. 419. Blessed are you who suffer and have to go through all that. And because when you suffer, you are able to entrust your God, trust yourself to a faithful God who is able to keep you. Other people are making you go through stuff, but God is watching. He's got your life. Listen to me. You got to grow to the place where you realize nobody can do anything that God doesn't allow to you. Nobody, nobody. And so you don't have to sweat it. Again, you can find a new job, but if, if, the, if the Lord wants you to stay, all you got to do every day is look up and say to people who are, who are naysaying you, say, you need to move, you need to go someplace else. They aren't treating you right. Just watch. It's not done yet. Story's not over. And don't act like everybody else is going to get their comeuppance. You're not hoping. You're not wishing for that. You don't want any evil to befall anybody because they're treating you bad. You want to do what Jesus did. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. All you want is for you to be vindicated and for them to be blessed with the, with the testimony that is your life so that they can see God better. But if you leave and it's not the will of God, you just missed out on an opportunity to progress the kingdom in places where darkness is prevailing. I'm just letting you know that there are possibilities that are beyond your vocational progression. There are things that God wants to do on the inside of you, and I don't want you to miss it. Whether you should go or shouldn't go, at least make sure if you do go, you are better, and if you stay, you are better. Either way, you are better, because you want to take a better you to wherever you go, and you want to become a better you wherever you stay. The bad thing is if you take you and you aren't better wherever you go, and you stay, and you aren't any better. That's really bad. Sure, Abraham, I'll go. <laughs> she gets down. Abraham's in the promised land, and, and all of a sudden there's a famine. And he's navigating all his relationships there. And, and this famine causes them, they, they, they think the only place they can go is Egypt. Now, this is during the period when Egypt was the most technologically advanced country in the world. This is somewhere around... We're not quite sure, but between 2200 B.C. and 2000 B.C., someplace in there, maybe 1900. But the pyramids, Giza, and those things were already built. And everybody was looking to this people group and saying, who are you? They were amazing. And he enters into that environment. So it's not just a little fledgling country. It's the most powerful, technologically advanced community in all of the Middle East. He comes in there with 4,000 people. They say, oh, who are you? Well, <clears throat> um, we're nomads, and um, we'd like to get some, some sanctuary in your spot. There's a famine where we are, and could we stay here for a little bit? Now, it's a big ask. Remember, you've got a lot of sheep to feed. You've got a lot of cattle to feed. You've got a lot of people to feed. Where are you going to put 4,000 people? 
They all got to be together because they, they need to be together. It's not like they just spread out throughout the city. So they had to find a spot for him. It's a big ask. And so the king says, well, what do you got? My sister. That's all, all I got. And Sarah, with tears in her eyes, says, I'll be happy, Pharaoh. <laughs> oh, she had to believe God every day. Every day. Every day she had to. Lord, I don't want to be with this man. I love my husband. But I know this. That if I don't do this, they'll defeat my people, kill them all, my husband, and they'll still take me. So I'm trusting you. Somehow or another. If this is the best way to go, I'm following my husband, but I'm following you. You I'm following. I'm convinced that God acts on Sarah's behalf. It says in Genesis 12 that God brought a plague on all of Pharaoh's house. <laughs> From the day he took her as his wife, a plague came on his entire household. It wasn't hard for them to look after Muth and say, when did this start? <laughs> what is going on? Oh, oh. Hey, Sarah, 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 Sarah. <laughs> Who are you again? <sighs> yeah, I, I'm his sister, but I'm his wife. girl you got to go you got to go my whole household was messed up because of you brings in Abraham Abram then and her name is Sarai brings in Abraham and says what in the world did you do to us look at my house my whole house is sick been sick for months what is wrong with you why did you treat us like this I thought you'd kill me and I th that's all I had I don't have any kids I thought you'd kill me and take all my people and kill them and all and, and then take my wife too I didn't know what to do. I get it. Leave. <laughs> Just leave. And all the stuff they had given Abraham, he got to keep. Why? Because they looked at Sarah and said, you are amazing. You saved your entire people. And God worked on your behalf. Keep all the stuff. That's Sarah. She doesn't get enough pub. What a woman. If that wasn't enough, it happened again. <laughs> now, this was somewhere in the neighborhood of a year or two after they got into the promised land with, with Pharaoh. Now it's about 24 years. She's already been told by God that she's going to have a baby this time next year, whatever that was. So about a year later, she would have a baby. At, the, at 25 years, they had a child together. Isaac came. So somewhere right in, the, in that period... She gets the word that she's going to have a baby this time next year. And Abraham is in the middle of another migration. He's moving into a territory of a, of a king called Abimelech of the Philistines. And he has to do the same thing because Abimelech says, what you got? You want my territory? You want to eat? You want your cattle to eat? You want my water? What you got? I got my sister. Now, at this time, she's, at, she's 89. And she still looked good. 
I don't know. I don't. I mean, this woman had faith. I'm not talking about pedicures and manicures and facials and spa. She was in the wilderness. She didn't have all those things. She just had God. I listen. It's not just about her believing for her people. It's about her believing for her. If I have to go through this land and continually tell people that I'm a sister, I got to be good looking enough whereby they're going to want me. They have to actually believe that I can bear them children when I haven't been able to, to, to Abraham all my life. They have to believe I'm a spring chicken. I'm the best thing they could ever have. So she believed in a lot of ways to spare her people. But the problem was even bigger this time because God's already said in the prior chapter in 19, this time next year, you will have a child. I'm getting ready to become Abimelech's wife. I don't want his baby. <laughs> you, you, this, this is supposed to be Abram's baby. This is supposed to be Abraham's baby. I don't want his baby. Lord, trust you again. We did this 20 years ago. I need your help. I need your help. She was there long enough in Abimelech's house whereby Abimelech's, all of his maidservants and all of his wives were barren. They couldn't bear any children. That's a long time. Whereby you notice nobody's getting pregnant. Abimelech said, when did this start happening? Sarah, come here. (laughs) But it happened differently. The other time, there was no supernatural thing whereby God came. This time, it was really something. God came to Abimelech in a dream and said, you're a dead man. (laughs) In a dream. Abimelech said, why? What have I done? You took this man's wife. He said she was his sister. I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know. God said, I know. That's why you're still alive. Give her back. Done. But his whole household had been barren for months. That's how long she was in that house. Every day believing, don't let me sleep with this man. God, let him like somebody else better today than me. He's got a whole harem. Let it not be me. Let it not be me. Let it not be me. And it never was. Sarah is amazing. And Abimelech said, why'd you do this to me, Abram? Well, I thought you'd kill me. Same story. And it wasn't, a, it, wasn't, it wasn't a fabricated story. It was true. This is what happened to people that did not c- create alliances by way of marriage. And so Abram had the strategy, though it was flawed in its, 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 its implementation. Sarah had the faith. And I want you to know, that you are ultimately watched over by God every day. And I'm not just speaking from theology. I've been in environments where folks may not have regarded whatever I had to bring to the table as being worthy of being considered. And other people were promoted before me. I've been there. I've been fired from stuff where I had no reason to be fired. I actually performed exemplary. And I was let go simply because somebody thought it was a good idea to do so. And I say, God, you fired me. You let me go. So there must be something better for me to do. 
You want your, you, you have me be done with that? I'm going to do something else right now. I'm going to find your will in the midst of this. Prayed for all those folk. Asked God to help them and bless them. And then a couple of years later, they rehired me. Appointed me to the same spot. And I've been serving there for about 15 years since. My point is this. God is the one who watches over your life. And nobody can do anything to you without him allowing it. Take up Sarah's faith. Take up her faith. She also believed for a miracle. Lord, okay, I've been through all this, but it's been like, it's been 89 years. And I know you said you were going to give this property to Abram and his descendants. And I know I may have not thought as well as I should have, but it's the only thing I knew to do. You know, when we got here first, we came out of Egypt. I got a maidservant named Hagar, and I realized I couldn't have any children, so I gave my, my, my maidservant to my husband, and he had a child finally. He had, he had Ishmael. And, and that, that was... Now, I realize every woman's sensibility has just been heightened. Why in the world? Who, first of all, what was wrong with Abram to sleep with her? Something wrong with him. Number two, why in the world would Sarah do that? Okay, now, again... Don't judge them by our culture. Don't do that. You're going to miss it. It was customary that when a woman could not have children, that she gave her maidservant to her husband and then called the child that was born hers. It was customary. And we put a lot of blame on Abram for what he did with Hagar. But we, took, we put no blame on Jacob for him sleeping with Billa and Zilpah. Now, there were four mamas to the son, 12 sons of Israel, Leah and Rachel, Rachel was the most loved. Leah was her sister. Each of them had, had maidservants, Bilhah and Zilpah. There were times when Rachel and Leah both were barren. Rachel and Leah gave their maidservants to Jacob in order to have children. Each of them had two children. We don't ever think of them as being less than because they were not born to Leah or Rachel, yet they are, they are four of the, the 12 tribes of Israel. But we think somehow Ishmael is really a bum. We don't ascribe anything good to him at all. But after Sarah died, Abraham got remarried to a woman named Keturah, had five more boys, who got the same kind of inheritance as Ishmael. They didn't get Isaacs, but they did get an inheritance. Now, we can ascribe a lot of blame to Ishmael for his bad attitude and his mama's bad attitude. They didn't have biblical mindsets about this thing they were envious they were mad they were they were antagonistic okay you can fault them for that but for the act itself of producing an ishmael from hagar it was customary and i don't think it's proper for us to biblically look at that as being so wrong and then to say what jacob did was so right god approved the four kids born from zilpah and bilhah as being just as legitimate in the nation of Israel as Judah, Benjamin, Joseph, Simeon, and all the others that were born from Rachel and Leah. If we look at what Sarah did, we can't say that somehow she was wrong unless we judge it through our own cultural eyes. But this was a woman who was trying to figure it out. I can't be the stop to the promise of God in my husband's life. I can't. And so she thought this was the best way. 
And every day that went past, she began to think, okay, God spoke to me about having, you know, my husband and I having a baby, but I'm getting further and further away from the possibility of that naturally happening. Every day that went, surely she was less fertile. It's kind of like in the NFL. Every year that passes, you are less able to do what you are supposed to do as an athlete because you're getting older. This was a woman who came in at 65 into the promised land, already barren and past the age of childbearing. Now at 89, this is why she laughs when God comes to her and says, this time next year, you're going to have a baby. And it says on the inside of the tent, while God was saying this to Abram on the outside of the tent, it says she laughed on the inside of the tent. How will, how will a woman who is 90 years old give birth to anybody? That's what she said to herself while she was laughing. God on the outside of the tent said to Abram and her, why'd you laugh, Sarah? Now, it must have been one of these laughs that was, hmm. <laughs> not a belly laugh because she didn't want God to know that somehow she had laughed <laughs> that he can't see the intent of the heart and he can't hear the little, <laughs> rather than the, ha, ha, ha. Is amazing to me in her interpretation of what God can discern. Why'd you laugh, Sarah? And then, and then she, she lies. I did not. <laughs> really wrong response. I mean, really wrong. He said, yes, you did. And I'm going to even memorialize the moment. The baby will be called Isaac because you laughed, which meant the word Isaac means she laughs. He laughs. You're going to remember this moment here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. God's merciful. He's merciful. But I want you to know something. She believed. Even though she had her moments whereby she didn't think she was going to be able to be a part of it. And she did some things that probably weren't in her best interest. And they really caused problems for her. She still believed. And the good thing about the New Testament is that the New Testament rarely brings up all the flaws of the people in the Old Testament. Though they had great flaws. When we look at what Moses did, he's only seen as a hero in Hebrews 11. When we look at what David did, and David did some stuff. Moses did some stuff that was wrong. David did some stuff that was wrong. David really did stuff wrong. I mean, adultery and murder, that's pretty bad. And all we have in the New Testament is that he fulfilled the purpose of God in his generation and slept with his fathers. Everybody messed up at some level in the Old Testament, but we have no record of it in the New. <laughs> this is a good thing. When you come out of your old life into your new, God cleans the slate. Oh, there may be consequences you have to bear here in the natural, but spiritually, it, it means this. I look at you as a new creature, and we, we can start all over. We can start all over. Yeah, Sarah may have done some stuff, but this is how it's summarized. She believed God and that he was faithful. Though every day that passed, she became naturally less of, of a woman to be able to bear children. But I want you to know something as I close. That every day that passed, she was actually getting closer to the promise. Why? Because what God says, he does. And if he said it, he's going to do it. All we need to do is wait and, and, and maybe he's setting you up to where everybody will see it and say, only God. Yeah. 
Only God. Only God. How about Jesus? I mean, we like to ascribe to Jesus a lot of great stuff, and there's no way you can use enough superlatives to, to describe who Jesus is and what he did. They're all great, but it is humanity. Okay, if I like die, am I really getting up? I mean, nobody's ever gotten up on their own. People raised folk from the dead. I did. But if I die, am I really getting up? The father raised him from the dead. He couldn't stay dead because sin did not become a part of his life. He never did anything wrong, worthy of death. Therefore, he was able to rise. But he was human. And so the humanity, he had to answer on a regular... If I go to this cross, am I staying there on, in the grave? Sometimes a little bit longer than any of us would desire. I mean, would it have been any less a miracle if God raised Jesus 12 hours after he died? No less a miracle. No less a miracle. But he, he waited till he was really dead. Like dead, dead. Deader than dead, dead. Everybody knew dead, dead. Really, really dead. Three days dead. Why? So people would never have an excuse to say, Eh, he was sleeping, he was faking. Mm -mm. Sometimes God is really waiting for you to get dead, dead. <laughs> dead, dead. Deader than dead is dead is dead, 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 dead. So dead that nobody has any hope. So barren. So closed wombed then nobody has any hope. When Sarah, who was 90, bore Isaac, everybody with whom Abram and Sarah had related, what God do they serve? And God wants to do the same thing with you. So every day you are waiting for that which God said. It might be 20 years. Simply because you're waiting this long, it doesn't mean you're 20 years, you're 20 years waiting for the promise and some, somehow further away from it. It means you're 20 years closer. Because he's going to do what he said. Are you listening to me? If he has spoken it, he will do it. And he's just waiting for that GMC tailgate moment. You don't watch TV? Rather than just a little bit of 25 years makes you go. He's trying to make you that to everybody else. A testimony and a witness. Sarah serves as credible as anybody in Scripture on what it means to stand in the midst of people that may not have their, her best interest in mind and stand for people with whom she wants to walk so that they will live and at the same time believe that God is able to do what he said and not quit and not give up and learn how to make her soul fight her brain sometimes. Your brain will tell you all kind of stuff. Fill your mind with thoughts that say God is not for you, nor does he like you. He neglected you. He cares for other people, but he's not going to do what he said for you because you did this. You were flawed there. You aren't good enough. He's got busy stuff around the world to do. He can't deal with you right now. 
God is able to do what he said. You got to take the thoughts in your brain. Listen, don't clap. I don't have time. Stop. You got to take the thoughts in your brain and use your soul to combat them. That's what your soul is there for. It's not just about being saved for heaven. It's about making sure that you are as saved as you can be here. And sometimes you need to be saved from fear, doubt and unbelief, cynicism in your brain. And David knew it like this in Psalm 42. I, he may not have written it, but some psalmist did. But he wrote enough of them. <laughs> I don't have time. I'm running out of time. He wrote enough of them. But in Psalm 42, it says this. Why are you in despair, O oh my soul? The man was depressed. He was so dark. It was a moment where clouds had just enveloped his own life. And he began to talk to himself. My mama said when people talk to themselves, they got a little touch. They touch. They touch. <laughs> Just a little touch of something. But I've talked to myself all the time. All the time. Why are you in despair? Put your hope in God's soul. For you will see him again. My soul, I can control. I may not be able, as Martin Luther said, I may not be able to control the, the birds that fly over my head, but I can stop them from resting in my hair. There may be thoughts that come to me that I cannot stop, but my soul, if I engage it, say, no, you, doubt and unbelief, talking about God in a way that's not flattering nor proper, I take you captive. I will not let my brain dominate my soul today. I'm going to let my soul and what the Word of God says dominate my thought life so I can engage my faith in what the Word of the Lord is. Sarah had to do that for 25 years. Constantly, I know what God said to my husband. I will not let doubt and unbelief fill my soul anymore. And all it says in the New Testament of Abraham and Sarah was they did not waver in unbelief, but they believed God who was faithful. They grew stronger in faith. Every day you wait, every day you press, you're one day closer. Father in heaven, I love you. Thank you for your goodness and grace. I feel like we need to have a corporate moment of repentance here whereby if you feel like you've been in the valley so long that you wonder whether God has even noticed you because you haven't sensed his presence, his power. He's been silent to you, it seems, and it's caused you to question whether he really cares. You've doubted him. Here's a moment to repent and allow his goodness to, to overwhelm you because he who promised is faithful. If you fall in that category, just pray this prayer with me. Say, Father in heaven, forgive me. I am sorry for doubting you. I choose to take the thoughts captive which have ruled my soul. Those which question your love and your attendance, attendance in my life. I know you're present. I know you love me. And I choose to not allow the enemy to win in my life. I battle him today with your promises, believing you have a hope and a future for me. Thank you for forgiving me. And help me to hold on to your word rather than to the other words which are contrary to yours. In Jesus' name.